With the help of Hashem, we're learning Saita Dav Gimel. We left off on Dav Beis Amad Beis, six lines from the bottom of the line, all the way at the end of the line. We are learning about the din of a woman becoming a Saita, a woman who is going to become legally suspected of committing adultery. And the, the, the steps that need to happen for a woman to become a Saita are two steps. First, the man has to warn his wife not to be with, us, with that individual. He has to specify with whom. And we learned, according to Rabbi Yoshua, and according to Rabbi Yezid in our Mishnah, that warning has to happen in front of two witnesses. If later she does seclude herself with that individual, again, according to Rabbi Yeshua, two witnesses need to testify that. And she was secluded with him. The amount of time in which she could have had an act of intimacy with him, now she becomes a woman who's legally suspected of committing adultery. And from that moment and on, she's not allowed to be with her husband. If she married a Kayin, but she doesn't come from a family of Kahanim, she's not allowed to eat Ruma. And if she is declaring her innocence, and if she and her husband want her to undergo the procedure of drinking the waters, as we'll, we learned in the previous daf, as we'll learn later in the Masechta, there's a procedure that she could undergo, which will either prove her innocence, or God forbid, cause her and the man with whom she committed adultery to both die a very gruesome death. Says the Gemara, Amir Eish my Lashen Kinoi. Why did the Mishnah, and really why does the Torah use the word for warning, Kinoi, Kinoi, Hamekana, Vikinei Esishtoi, Hamekana. Normally in Lashen Kodesh, the word for warning is Hamasra, Hasra, a warning. Explains that Eish that the word Kinoi, Kina, also means anger. That Dover Hamatir, Kina, Beina, Lebeina, Chedem. That this act of warning is going to create anger between other people and her. And one second, why will it create anger between other people and her? So observes the Gemara, ah, Alma, we see that, that, that the Shlakish understands that Kinoi could be done even not in front of witnesses. Like Rabbi Yisib, Rabbi Yehuda, Mishum, Rabbi Eliezer. So we see Kinoi al And therefore, if a man warns his wife, even not in front of witnesses, not to be secluded with a certain individual, according to that opinion, that's a proper warning. So she will never be with that individual. Now, no one knows that he warned her, if you don't have to warn in front of two witnesses. So all of a sudden, she's going to become antisocial, at least with that person. So that person is not going to understand why, what happened. So there's going to be anger between him and her. And therefore, people will not know that he warned her if warning doesn't need to be done in front of the witnesses. And the Omri, my Dekama, people are going to say, what's happening? The Kabbadla, why is she secluding herself from other people? And and people will become angry with her. Now, we're not saying that that anger is a bad anger. But the fact that Reish says that the word Kinui is used because it causes other people to be angry with her implies that he must hold that Kinui does not need to be done in front of two witnesses. However, Rabbi Yemad Barab Shulemia, in the name of Abaya says that the same logic, but he said it differently, that why is the word Kinui used? It's going to cause anger between them. It's not going to make other people angry with her. It's going to make their marriage worse. Why? Alma, we see that ultimately Abaya holds, Kinoi has to be done in front of two witnesses. That's Sayyid Abeliezer in our Mishnah and Sayyid Halachik Rabbi Yeshua. And therefore, the moment a man warns his wife, everyone knows about it. So no one is questioning why isn't she anymore socializing with those individuals. 
They know because she was warned she's suspected by her husband. But what anger will happen from it? But he's going to make more anger come into the marriage like Rashi says. Read the last Rashi on the Amit. Right? That she will be angry with him. She's going to instigate him. Why will she instigate him? Because she was being suspected. Imagine how it must feel for a wife who's being suspected by her husband that she's committing adultery. So he's warning her. She's going to react right, by saying, you're suspecting me. I'm angry with you. So she's going to do things to provoke him. So he's going to again react and he's going to react angrily. And it's going to create this whole cycle of anger in their marriage. Daf Gimel. Amal we see. Kosavri, Kosavri meaning both Reish and Navyemar that are using, that are interpreting the word Kinoi as anger. Anger is never a good thing. So let's go back to what we said before. Even other people being angry with her is not a good thing. That they both hold the Asur Lekanois that a man should not be warning his wife as we learned in the previous year. We'll learn more today. That there is a whole approach that a man even if he suspects his wife is committing adultery, the way to deal with it is not to go and warn her, is not to have these acts of gavura. All of that, in most cases, won't be effective. The opposite. First, take responsibility. If Taka, she's misbehaving, it's for sure the husband's fault as well. And he has to better himself. And he has to better his relationship with her. And there are smarter, wiser approaches that should be used to bring peace in the couple. However, if a man warned her and then she was secluded, then the Torah says, once she becomes a saita, there's nothing you can do. She has to undergo the procedure. However, Uman, the Omar, Mutalakanois, but those are those opinions that, that hold that a man should warn his wife not to be with that individual whom he suspects she might be having an affair with. So why did the Torah use the words kinoi, which means anger? So Amar Avnachman Barab Yitzchak, Ein kinoi eloloshen hasra. It's not an unusual word. Kinui means warning. And likewise, we find this word in Yoyal. It says that there was a, the prophet was foreseeing a plague of locusts that was going to invade the Holy Land because of our misbehaving. We were not keeping the mitzvahs properly. And then it says that if we'll do tshuva, Hashem that Hashem is going to issue a warning about his land you know, Hashem is going to send the locusts away. And in that context, the word vayekane means a warning. Tanya, Tanya, we learned in Abraisa, that Hoya Rav Meir Oimer, Rav Meir always says that Adam Oiver Aveira Beseser, when he learned the dinam of a Saita, he made the observation that a person might think they're committing a sin and no one knows about it. It doesn't work out that way. That sooner or later, when a person misbehaves, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Machris, Olav, Bigoli, Hashem, will proclaim that sin in public. And that's really the, the, whole, the whole idea of a Saita. In other words, in this scenario, that if a woman was misbehaving, ultimately everyone is going to know that she's a Saita. Because the procedure that she needed to undergo was undergone in public. She was humiliated in public. Shenemar, as it says, Va'avar Olav Ruach Kina, the word Va'avar, Passed over the Ein Avira, the word Avira also means Lashon Hachraz. It's going to be announced. You know, it's this whole din of Saita is ultimately going to announce that some misbehavior happened. And how do we know that the word Va'avar or Avira means an announcement, a proclamation? So this is brought down from the Pasik in Parshas Vayakel, the only time in history when a fundraiser told people to stop donating. 
So people were bringing all of the donations to the temple. And then it says that Vayitzav Moshe, Vayaviru, Vayaviru Kol Bamachna, that Al Yasu Oid Molacha, Lumalachas HaKodesh, no, we don't need anything else. Or not to carry on Shabbos, however we learned that Pasik, but he made that proclamation, and the word used is Vayaaviru. Says Reish Lakish, Ein Adam Oivir Avera, Ela Imkein, Nichnas Boi Ruachstos. That a person will only sin if that person first was filled with the spirit of foolishness. And how do we know that? Because it says, Ish, Ish, Ki Sishte Ishtoi. Now, the literal translation of Sishte, Sishte comes from the word Sita. Sita means that a man whose wife goes astray or deviating. But you can read Sishte with the sin, you can read it with a shin. Sishte, and that comes from the word shtus. In other words, sishte ksiv. In the title, there's no vowels. So siste and sishte are written the same way. So all sin come from a person being filled with the spirit of shtus. As we learned in Dav Beis, that after a woman becomes a legal saita, if only one witness says that during that time when they were secluded, she was intimate with that man, we believe that one witness, not to kill her, but we believe that one witness that she does not undergo the whole dinim of a saita. She will not drink the waters. There's no point. We know that she's guilty. Why? Because there is a circumstantial evidence. There's a, a logical suspicion. Since first she was forewarned. And then, even after though she was forewarned, still venistera. She was secluded. And on top of that now, So that's why we believe that she actually became defiled. Asks the Gemaren, As we spoke out on the yesterday's Sharon Dav Beis, there's Pasek Gimel and Pasek Yudalit. So in the Parsha of Soitam, in Pasha Snasai, in Pedekei, the Torah begins speaking about a man. And the Pasuk begins by saying that if the woman, Pasuk Yud Gimel, actually was defiled, ve'eid ein ba, even though there were no two witnesses, but there was one witness that she was intimate with that man and she was not forced, then she is not a Saita. And then it, Pasuk Yud Dalit begins, but if va'avar all of ruach kina ve'kina sishtoi, if a man was filled with the spirit of kina, of jealousy, and he warned his wife, and we don't know whether she became Tommy or not, then etc. So when does the Torah speak about the warning? In Pasik Yudalit. Where do we have the din that one witness is believed, even though there's only one witness? In Pasik Yud Gimel. Pasik Yud Gimel did not mention anything about a warning. So why are you saying that the Raglaim Lodavar, since there was a warning, Anastira, that's why we believe one aid, but the whole warning is only written after the Torah mentions Stira, Vitumu Dechsiva, question mark, answers the Gemara, Amar Lei, that you're right, that Pasik Yudalad is written after Pasik Gimel, but the word Ve'avar means not that now he warned her, Ve'avar means that Ukvar Avar, that if he already had forewarned her before passing Kud Gimel, first there was Kinoi, then there was Tira, then Ve'eid Ein Ba, we believe one witness. Says the Gemara, when the Torah says the words Va'avar, does it mean something that happened in the past? It can be. In Parshas Matois, when the Negad Menero wanted 
to inherit the lands on the other side of the Jordan. And Moshe Rabbeinu told them that he made a condition. And they can only keep those lands if that if all of the men are going to arm themselves and cross over the Jordan River in the future to fight, then they can keep the current lands. There doesn't work. There doesn't speak about something that happened. It's clear. Moshe Rabbeinu was telling them that you will have to go over in the future. Answers the Gemara that the word va'avar, like many other words in Lashon Kodesh, are translated depending on their context. You have to read the whole context. And the context of the verse will teach you what that word means. Hasam over there, since it says right afterwards, v'nich Hashem, va'achar toshuvu, Moshe Rabbeinu was speaking about what needs to happen in the future. So there, va'avar also means lahaba. But over here, if you're going to translate the words va'avar, that Pasek Yudalit is something that is, that is speaking about a warning that didn't happen prior to Pasek Yudalit. So why does he have to warn her? In other words, if the Torah is telling you that just seclusion in itself makes a woman a Saita, and seclusion with a witness makes her a known adulteress, then what's the point of warning? She's already an adulteress. So it must be that ve'avar, even though the trader spoke about warning on Pasuk Yudalit, it's an act that happened before Pasuk Yudgimel. A man is only going to warn his wife if he was filled with a certain spirit. As it says, that he was overcome with a spirit of jealousy. Says the Gemara, my ruach. What did he mean? What did the Braisa taught the Veda Bishmal mean? That he's filled with the spirit. So certain sages, these Chachamim are not Tanoim. This is Amoiroim. They hold Ruach Tuma. That the husband was filled with an unpure spirit. Jealousy is not good. And again, yeah, there are issues in a, in a marriage. And if a person feels that there's some type of infidelity, then he should deal with it in a, in a wiser way, as we spoke out before. First, Take responsibility. If there is misbehavior, it must be that the husband is also not being a proper husband. And then speak to a spouse in a, in a kind way. And, and, and that's the approach. And the whole din of a seita is only be the evit. So the, the, whole, the whole procedure began with the husband being filled with an unholy spirit of jealousy. Ravashi says no. That ruach means he was filled with the spirit. But it's a ruach tahara. The opposite. It's a spirit of purity. That, you know, sometimes you have to be, you have to act with Gevura. That's the question. And sometimes this is the right approach. Says the Gemara, Ravashi's understanding of Ruach in the positive is based on the following Braisa. The time we learn, so we learn the Machlaikis brought in the Braisa between Rabbi Shmol and Rabbi Kiva. That Rabbi Shmol holds, is Rishus. The trade is not saying that he has to warn her, but he's allowed to warn her. Rabbi Kiva says he has to warn her. Says the if the spirit that he's overcome with is coming from a good place, so then the argument makes sense. Both Rabbi Yishmael and Rabbi Kiva. Even if it's a holy spirit, you can still say it's a rashus, it's not a chayva. But it can be a rashus, it can be a chayva. But if you're going to say that it's ruach tumah, then none of the opinions make sense. Because a ruach tumah 
for sure should not be something obligated. A person is obligated to become filled with an unholy spirit. And even Nabi Yishmol, is a person allowed to be overcome with an unholy spirit? Rishus or chayva, inish ruach Should a person be overcome with an unholy spirit? So mistabra, that in certain circumstances, if this is the only effective approach, then warning one spouse should be done. Gufa. Now we're going to quote this machlekes, and we're going to have a, a, a piece of Gemara here that's very interesting, that's going to show a thread. There are three arguments between Rabbi Kiva and Rabbi Shmuel as to certain dinim in the Torah when Hashem says to do something, does the doing mean you have to do it, or does the doing mean you are allowed to do it, but you don't have to do it? And let's learn all the three. Gufa, we learned, Vikine esishtoi, when it comes to the din of a soita, and the trader says in Pasuk Yudalad that va'avar olav ruach, right? Vekinei, it means reshus. He is allowed to warn her, etc. These are the words of Rabbi Yishmol. Rabbi Kiva says, no chayvam. Likewise, we find another b'raisa in Parshas Emoir, when the trader is speaking about dinei kahanim. That kahanim are not allowed to defile themselves betumas meis. And then the Torah gives an exception that to one seven relatives, a koin, not a koin gadol, but a koin is a, could contaminate himself. Who are the seven relatives? Father, mother, brother, sister, unmarried sister, son and daughter, and spouse. And there the Torah concludes law to her. This law refers specifically that ula achaysay hapsula hakroiva elov. That to an unmarried sister, what does it mean to her he should defile herself? And really, what does it mean regarding all of the seven relatives? So Rabbi Yishmael says, Rishus, a kain is allowed to contaminate himself during the burial of his seven relatives. Rabbi Kiva says, no, more than that. He's obligated to busy himself with their burial and therefore obligated to become Tommy. And the third case is when it comes to the dinim of an Evid Kanani, that if a person owns a non-Jewish slave, known as a Canaanite slave, and the Torah says, that forever you should, you should keep them in their subservience. In other words, do not free them. So Rabbi Shmuel says, you are allowed to free your slave. The Torah is saying that you are allowed to You can always keep them, keep them in their slavery. You're not obligated to free them. But you don't have to keep them in their slavery. Rabbi Kiva says, no, it's a mitzvah. The trade is telling you, In other words, if a person emancipates their Evid Kanani, they are violating a mitzvah sase. So in all of these three cases, Machleik is Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Kiva. And always the same way, Rabbi Shmuel Rishus, Rabbi Kiva Chayva. Now the problem is, you have Ramach mitzvah sase. 248 times Hashem says, doing, do something. But Rabbi Shmuel will hold that whenever Hashem says do something, he's just giving a suggestion. Many people read the Torah that way. Oh, it's a good idea, put on tefillin. No, Hashem is telling you you have to do it. So why will this be different? It can be. It can be that you know, Rabbi Kiva makes sense, but not Rabbi Shmuel. The Mar Rabbi Shmuel holds that whenever Hashem says do, he only meant it's a good idea. You are allowed to do it, Rishus. And Rabbi Kiva is the one that holds it. Well, 
Amalei, that's the way the Gemara speaks. In other words, it's clear that there's something in these three cases. So the question is, why, why are these three different than in any other case? Amalei Hachi, that here in these three cases, that there was a machlekes, how to interpret psukim, and as we'll see beautifully, the whole concept of which is the theme of the way we are educated to learn, that when you have machlekes of Tanoim and machlekes Amoroim, ultimately, many arguments boil down to one question. And really, all of the arguments between Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Kiva, and here we're only focusing on these three, are always, they're centered around one argument, how to interpret psukim, as we'll see in a moment. And that's beautiful. And even that has to go even deeper. And we'll get to that later. But what is the argument of interpreting psukim, the interpretation of psukim, that let's begin with Saita. It says, V'kine yesishtei reshus, divrei Rabbi Yishmol, Rabbi Kiva says, Chayva. Explains the Gemara. Maitama de Rabbi Yishmol, sover lo kehaitano. That we learned in Ebraisa, Rabbi Yezer ben Yaakov, let's not forget Rabbi Yezer ben Yaakov is Kavanaki. We give a lot of credibility to Rabbi Yezer ben Yaakov. In other words, he's not quoted that often, but what he says is clean, in other words, the halachas normally like him. Lav dafka by Braises, but maybe even by Braises. That he says that kla peisha amra teira. In contrast to what the teira says, do not bear a grudge towards your brother in your heart. Your brother meaning a fellow Jew. In other words, how can a man ever warn his wife not to be secluded? Where is that coming from? It's coming from Suspicion. It's coming from violating. So one might think that it's prohibited for a husband to suspect his wife. So the Torah needs to say, to tell you that in this case, in certain cases, it's not prohibited, it's permissible. It's normally when the Torah speaks about doing an action, if that action is not otherwise prohibited, then when Hashem says do something, He means you are obligated to do it. But when there is a havamina, when there is an idea that such an action is prohibited, so there when the Torah says you could do it, you can interpret it, you could do it, you don't have to do it, but it's a chiddish that you could do it. So, Yachol Kagain Zu. No, 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 no. It's, it's, you know, when the Torah, Tamalaymer, it says, the Torah is telling you that if a man is filled with the Spirit, then he's allowed to warn his wife. And under certain circumstances, if this is the only effective way, then, it, then this is the way to do it. The goal is for people to be faithful to each other. Ayver Rabbi Kiva. No, it's his point is so well taken. How could Rabbi Kiva interpret this verse as an obligation? Whenever the Torah says something, and it might mean A or might mean B, we, 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 it has to mean what it minimally has to mean. How do you know that it means not only you're permitted, but you're obligated? So Rabbi Kiva says, Kinoi Achrinoksiv. And here, Pashit, it's going to be helpful. Rashi, somewhere in the middle of the Amidi, Pashit quotes the Pasik. And the Pasik says, uh, if you see the Gilean Hashas, it's like two or three lines above the Gilean Hashas. Says Rashi, it says in Pasik Yudalid, Va'avar olav ruach kino, ve'kino yesishtoi, ve'hi loinitma. No, it's the Pasik begins, Va'avar olav ruach kino, ve'kino yesishtoi, ve'hi netma. Then the Pasik, the same Pasik continues, What the Pasik is trying to say is, is that when a man warned his wife, and she was secluded, and we don't know what happened, so instead of the Torah saying, 
together. Either she became Tommy or she didn't become Tommy. or The Torah repeats itself twice. The Torah says, And then the Pasuk could have says, or But the Torah repeats again that So the Torah repeats the words of Kinoi twice. The first time is to tell you Rishus, and the second time is to tell you that it's a mitzvah, that you're obligated to do it. Ruach Tahara. So now the question is on Rabbi Yishmael. The Torah repeated it twice. So here we're going to learn the sheet of Rabbi Yishmael, just like we find many times in the Mishnah. That in order for the Mishnah to be symmetric, the Tana writes, the Rebbe wrote words in a certain way, it should match. That Rabbi Shmuel holds that sometimes the Torah repeated something in order for the wordings in the Pasuk to be more symmetric. So it's not considered a repetition. The Torah is trying to tell you in Pasuk Yudale that where we don't even have one witness of Tuma, we don't know whether Vihinitma'a, whether he The Pasuk is beginning by telling you by telling you that it began in the past of all of Ruachina So the first time the Torah has to mention it and to tell you the shus. The trader repeats it again, the Pasha to be symmetric. So here, but Rabbi Shmuel, I did the boy lemichta vihi netma, vihi loy netma. The trader is trying to tell you we don't know what happened. And it says in the beginning of the Pasik, it says, vikine sishtaim. So ksivnami, when the trader repeats both sides of the option, that she did become impure, or she did not become impure, it's Pasha, it's more symmetric. So vikine sishtaim vihi netma, vikine sishtaim vihi loy netma. So, so just like Rabbi Shmuel, one second, and this is Rabbi Shmuel. This fits with what Rabbi Shmuel said in general. The Rabbi Shmuel, Whenever there is a repetition in the Torah, once the Torah has to speak out a case both ways, so it's it's, uh, it's acceptable that the Torah repeats certain words only for the style of the Torah, for the symmetry of the Torah, but not that we learn from every extra word enudin. And Rabbi and Ab- and Kiva disagrees with that. Rabbi Kiva learns from every extra word in the Torah adin. Rabbi Kiva was doidish from every crown of the Torah, piles and piles of halachas. And really that's connected to ultimately that Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Kiva, according to Hasidus, that Rabbi Shmuel represents a koyin, he represents a tzaddik, and Rabbi Kiva represents a balchuva, and a balchuva has greater power than a tzaddik, and every single letter, a balchuva many times is more particular in keeping of the mitzvahs, more than a tzaddik. So the, the diuk not only is in the keeping of the mitzvahs, but it's in the learning of the Torah, that every word in the Torah has to teach us something. Rabbi Shmuel says, no, it fits, it flows nicely. Let's go right it. And the same argument is in the case of a coin, and the same argument is in the case of an Evet Kanani. So let's learn this inside. So, lo yitama rishus Rabbi Shmuel. Rabbi Kiva holds chayva. My tamad Rabbi Shmuel, since the parsha begins in Emoid. Emer el ha-kahana b'nei ha-ravim Right, the Torah begins that a coin is not allowed to become defiled by Tomas Meis. L'nefesh lo yitama ba'amov. So the Torah needs to say, to tell you what's the next step, one step up from prohibition. You're prohibited, you're not prohibited. But how do you, why would you say that it means you are obligated? The Torah needs to tell you that you're not prohibited. So Rabbi Kiva says, there is another Pasuk. The Pasuk says, 
that a Kayin is allowed to contaminate himself to his relative. So from the words, Kiim L'shi'eroi, we already know that he's permitted. So, Now the question is on Abi Shmuel. And Abi Shmuel, he says, you're right. Kiim L'shi'eroi is where you learn Rishus. La Yatama is to tell you a whole different din. That Rabbi Shmuel says, La Mitama, Ve'ena Mitama Le'evoreha. That when is a Kayin allowed to contaminate himself if one of those seven relatives are being buried when their bodies are wholesome? But as Rashi points out, we learned this just recently in Nazir, that there is a din that a Ever Men Hachai, a limb from a living person, also gives off Tomas Meis. What's going to happen if, God forbid, if a Kayin's relative loses a limb, can he occupy himself in burying it? And the din is not even Rishus, that only to her he can contaminate, to her whole, to the whole person, and not to a limb of the person. So if that's the case, turning to Dav Gimel Amit Beis, Rabakiva, Rabakiva also needs the law Yatama to tell you, So Im Kain Lichtev Rachman Allah, the Torah could have written, only law without writing the words yatama. Why did the Torah add the words yatama to tell you chayvam? Shmamin Amarav Rabbi Shmuel. So the same thing. Rabbi Shmuel says you're right. The word yatama, the Torah could have written it without the words yatama. But since the Torah needed to write the words law, so therefore the Torah already to be symmetric wrote. The Torah begins by saying a kain cannot become tamei, but to her the kain could become tamei. Rabbi Shmuel, I did the cause of law. And this is like the Tani Devei Rabbi Yishmol, the Tani Devei Rabbi Yishmol, called Parsha Shenemra V'nishnes, Le'nishnes Ela B'Shul Dover Shenes Chadash Gavaldik. And likewise in the third case. What's the third case? The din of a Evet Kanani. And the Torah says, Lo'olam Behem Tavaydu. And you, 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 that you, you should acquire and work with them forever. Says Rabbi Shmuel, it means you are allowed to acquire. You are allowed to work with your slave. You're not obligated to emancipate a slave. These are the words of Rabbi Shmuel. Rabbi Kiva says no, that if a Jew owns an Evet Kanani, he's never allowed to free them. It's a chayva that lo'oylam behem tavaydu. My tamad Rabbi Shmuel, I did the since it says lo'isachayek on the shama, that we were not allowed to keep any, any of the seven nations alive when we entered Eretz Yisrael. Big machlekes rishonim, how to understand it, but let's just leave it vague. There's a mitzvah always or then, whether they were warned or whether they were not warned, that to kill all of the Canaanite nations. So therefore, the Torah needs to tell you that you are allowed to own a slave if the slave comes from any member of another nation. Now again, why would you think you're not allowed to? So the Gemara is going to give a scenario as to, by Goyim, by Bnei Noyach, how do you establish nationhood. And we're going to see from over here that nationhood by Goyim goes paternally. In other words, if you had a member from another nation, if one person came, Shabbat al haknanis and he had a relation with a Knanis woman, and how do we view this child? We don't view this child as a Knanite. If the child will be considered a Knanite, then we would have to kill him. So when the Torah is telling you, it means you don't have to kill him. Why don't you have to kill them? Because we don't view this child as a Knani child. We view the child to belong to the same nation as this child's father belongs to. No, his nationality comes from the father. The Tanya, as we learned, 
you are allowed to, you're not obligated to fulfill the verse, So since it says, that you are also allowed to acquire from those who are residents, that live in your land, from them, you should buy slaves. Now, who are the residents that live in your land? Just speak this out by heart, a very interesting uh, principle that the, the Seder, the regular behavior that the trade accepts is that when women get married, normally they stay in their home of, of birth and it is the husband that comes to live with them. However, there are some times after they're married for a while that then the family can move back to his country of origin. So when the trade is saying that the ones who live in your country from them you can buy... And again, this is including, even though the mother is, is from Eretz Yisrael, she lived there, because it, before Yeshua entered, the Canaanim lived there. So when we entered, you can buy children from the Canaani woman. She's there. You might think that what would happen, that if the father was a Canaani, but the mother is from another nation, that that child can also be purchased as a slave. You might think that you're not obligated to fulfill the mitzvah of loy sechayek al neshama. So Talmud Lamer, no, that only asher hoylidu ba'artzechem. You can only buy slaves from those who were born in your land, meaning minhan leiladim ba'artzechem, from those who were born. Why were they born there? Because the parents lived there. Why did the parents live there? Because the mother is from there. But not from those who moved to Israel. Who would move to Israel? A woman from another nation. Why would they move to Israel? Because the father was a Knani. And there the din would be that just like there is a mitzvah of on the father, the same thing will be on the child. So in other words, again, since that one might have thought that it's prohibited to buy them as a slave, it's a Knani, so the trader needs to tell you that the reshus that you are allowed to. But how do you know that you're obligated? So Rabbi Kiva, so Rabbi Kiva says, Mimehem tiknu nafka. We already know from the Pasik mayhem tiknu, including a case where the mother is a knanis, as long as the father is not a knani, that paternity, the nationality is paternal. And from there we know that they're not considered a knanim. And if they're not considered knanim, so we already know that you can buy them as slaves. Why not? They're not knanim. So why did the Torah have to say, That's to teach you that you're not allowed to free a slave. He says, Bohem means to tell you another din. That the idea of owning a slave or one's permissibility to demand of one slave to do what we call service of a slave. Service of a slave halachically means one of the two. Either telling a person to work without telling them for how long. For example, a man tells a slave, work, do this until when I return. When a Jew owns a Jewish slave, he's never allowed to say it to them. Because the person who's working at least needs to know how long. And also the concept of Avedas Perech, which is that you can only give a Jewish slave work that has a purpose. And they understand the purpose. But to tell a person to do something that is of no purpose is something that's called Avedas Eved or Avedas Perech. And that's something that the trader is telling you, only Bohem, only to non-Jewish slaves can you give this type of work. So that's what this word is needed for. So again, so is to tell you the shows the din of that nationality is paternal. He says, you can already know that from the Seifa. When the trader says clearly that So we already know it. 
So the behem is extra. So the Gemara says again that it comes down to the same point. That you could have known it from the Sefer. The Torah, so to say, repeats it in the Reisha. Rabbi Shmuel says that's just for symmetry. So you only learn the din of paternity, nationality is paternal from Lo'elum and Tavayd. Rabbi Kiva is medayik every word in the Torah. So we already learned the din of Beferech, not Ba'achechem from the Sefer. So the Bohem is telling you that you are allowed to. And Lo'elum is telling you Chayva. Rabbi Shmuel, I did Ksiv Ba'achechem, Nama, Ksiv Nami, look at the title, look at the title of Rabbi Shmuel. The title of Rabbi Shmuel, Kol Pasha Shenemah Venishtas, Lenishtas, El Bishlosh Chadashba. So therefore, all of these three Machloikasin are based around how to view every letter in the Torah. Can the Torah, so to say, repeat something only for the matter of symmetry? Or do we have to learn something from every extra letter in the Torah? Achloikas Rabbi Shmuel and Abba Kiva. Coming back to the dinam of Saita. Amr Rabbi Chizda makes a very powerful statement as to the power that a woman has over her home in contrast to the father, the man. That Zenusa Bebesa, that if a woman, God forbid, is being unfaithful, if there's infidelity in the home, that is Kikadia Lesumsama. It's like a Kadia worm attacking a sesame seed. A Kadia worm goes into the sesame seed and it eats it from the inside out. So when you look at a sesame seed, sometimes you look at it, it looks good, it looks wholesome, but the whole inside is done, is rotten. So when there's Nus in the house, even when, even before the house collapses, you can look at a household, everything looks perfect. People who are filled with this foolishness might even think everything is under control, no one knows, everything will be fine, but it destroys the house from the inside out. And the Amar Abchizda, likewise, that took for Babesa, that anger in their home. When people are angry and they vent their anger, they give expression to that anger, that also destroys a home from the inside out. That's kikadia lesumsama. It's like the kadia worm destroying the sesame seed. And you should know that that who will destroy the home from the inside out? Who has the power to do that? Not that God forbid we're minimizing the sin of the man. God forbid. Rabchizda is saying that the power to build a home and likewise the power to destroy the home, that's the woman's power. Avul begavra lays lumber. The father's, the husband's power of building or destroying is not as strong as. And obviously, as we'll see in a moment, the Gemara continues by underlying the terrible mistake that many people made. Obviously then, that if a man, God forbid, has a, is, is, is not faithful, it's, it's the worst sin in the world. And as we'll see later, the Gemara says in, 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 in uh, I think it was in Yavamis, Or an Eidovin, the Gemara says an Eidovin and Dafyutes that if a man has once a relation with a non-Jewish woman, then Avram Avinu, we learned this in the Zoyar, schleps, takes all of the Jewish people out of Gehenim. The only person who he cannot take out of Gehenim is a Jew who had one time a relation with a non-Jewish woman. So it's not that God forbid Rab is minimizing a man's infidelity or a man's anger. He's saying that the woman's power over her home is a lot stronger than the man's. So her misbehavior will destroy the home. The man's behavior won't destroy the home as bad as, but it's for sure going to destroy him. We're speaking about the severity and the consequence of men, God forbid, having relations outside their marriage, being intimate with other women, that before the Jewish people sin, sin here is nus, infidelity. 
That Hashem's presence, that Shechina was with every single Jew. I, no one was perfect. Hashem tolerated all other imperfections. And that's the meaning of the Pasik, that Hashem, our God, walked amongst us. He walked in our camp. But the moment we sinned in the area of Zenus, then the Shechina left us. As it says in the Pasik, that Hashem says, I, if I'm going to see acts of non-kosher intimacy, then I'm going to remove myself from your midst. That whenever we do a mitzvah in this world, that mitzvah that mitzvah precedes, goes in front of the person, and it goes to the future world, and it greets us there. And Shanamar, as it says in Yeshaya, that, and by the way, the mitzvah is tzedakim. The sin is nus, and the mitzvah is tzedakim. That the tzedakah that we give walks in front of us. However, God forbid, if a person falls in the area of zenus, if a person has an act of intimacy with any other woman aside of their wives, then milafaftoi, that sin envelops the person, you can't escape it. And Bohilachas Lafanov, they say that the difference between Milafaftoi and Mikadamtoi, Mikadamtoi is that you're happy that it goes in front of you. Here you want to get rid of it. The sin doesn't allow you. You can't get rid of it. It envelops the person. And it's going to stand in front of the person on the day of judgment. as it says that Yilofsoi Orchois Darkom, that we are enveloped by our own courses, by our own paths. And Yalu Bitoyu and they will make us enter a wasteland, and God forbid, and there a person gets completely lost. Rabbi Lazar says that uh, the sin of Zenus is something that is so sticks to the person, Kshura Baikikalab. It sticks to the person the way a dog. Like a dog. The Gemara Sanhedrin says that the reason why in nature, that right after dogs are intimate with each other, the male cannot disconnect from the female for a while. That's to shame them. That's because during the flood, when Hashem told us that during that time, men and women were not allowed to be together. And that wasn't only a commandment given to human beings, that also went to the animal kingdom. And the only animal that violated and was intimate with the spouse was the dog. And in punishment, they are forever condemned that they cannot be intimate in private. In other words, it's something that's brought out to the public. And likewise, any act of zunus, ultimately, like we learned on Davgim Olam will be announced. This is the area where everyone will, will be known, who was faithful and who was not. As it says, that Yosef HaTzadik was not listening to the wife of Poitifera. Lishkav etzla, to lay with her. Lios ima, to be with her. Why did the Torah use a double expression? Right? We learned this in Chitas. Lishkav etzla, she wanted him to lay with her in this world. But he understood if he's going to do that, then he's going to be stuck with her in the next world. In other words, that sin never goes away. Taran Hossam, we learned in the Mishnah. Again, we're quoting the Mishnah on Daflam Adalif. The Mishnah there is speaking about the din that we learned before, that after there was a halachic warning, after there was a halachic act of seclusion, then even if only one witness said that they were actually intimate, 
we accept that testimony and you don't go on with the drinking of the waters because we know that there was adultery. So says the Mishnah that if without the Pasuk saying the words ve'ed einbam, as we interpret it on that base, without the Pasuk telling you that even if there's no two witnesses, even if there is one witness, one witness is believed, shahaya badin, I would have thought without a Pasuk that one witness is not believed. Why would I think so? Because ma'edus harishayna, when it comes to the first testimony, we'll see soon what this refers to. It refers First to the stira. This Mishnah goes according to Rabbi Yeshua that says that for stira you have to have two witnesses testifying that they were secluded. So just like when it comes to the seclusion, even if there was taka stira and kinoi, what's the din? You can't say that they're never allowed to be together. We say she's a saita. But if she's going to drink the waters and she won't die, then she can go back to be with her husband. So when it comes to stira, that doesn't for sure always prohibit them from being together. According to Rabbi Yeshua, Stiroik is only valid if it was done in front of two witnesses. So when it comes to the dinim of witnesses testifying that they actually saw them being intimate, so you would think that if we were to accept it, which we do, then there is no way out of it. Once a woman is known halakhically to have committed adultery, the husband is never allowed to be with her. So that's why the Torah needed to tell you, right in that the word aid means halakhic testimony, means witnesses. There weren't witnesses, but there was one witness, and one witness already is halakhic proof that she committed adultery. Means kol even one is believed. So now asks the Mishnah, why don't I go ahead and now and say the opposite? Since the Torah reveals that one aid is enough for Tuma, why don't we learn from that that for Stira, one aid is enough? In other words, this should substantiate Let's now make a When it comes to Tuma, once a woman is known halachically to have committed adultery, she can never be with her husband again. And we say that Miskayemis in this case, even with one witness. So therefore, why don't we say referring to Stira? Because even if she's only a suspected adulteress, there is the way out of drinking the waters. And if she doesn't die, she goes back to being with her husband. So why don't we say, she is kaim with only one witness? So that's why we have the Pasuk and Kiseitze that we spoke out before. That it says regarding a man divorcing his wife, ervas davar. And it says in Pasha Shoftim, Alpi Shnei Edim, or Alpi Shleisha Edim Yakum Davar. So to learn from the Gzeda Shava, Ma Davar Ha'amar Lahalam Alpi Shnei Edim, Afkan Alpi Shnaiim. End of the Mishnah. Asks the Gemara, why did we need the Gzeda Shavon? We have in Pasik Yud Gimel itself, when we're speaking about the one witness being believed, it says, Ve'ed ein ba. The word ba is extra. And ba comes to teach you that only here is one witness enough. But not, we learned, ba v'olei bestira, ba v'olei We know from over here that two witnesses are needed for kinoi and l'rabi Yeshua for stira. Answers the Gemara, you're right, Tachinami. And that's you have to amend the Mishnah. And the Mishnah Taka says that how do we know that for Kinoi and for Stira, let Rabbi Yeshua, you need two witnesses because it says, 
However, if there was Kinoyen Stira, one ate his belief for Tumah. Why? Raglaim Lodavr. And then the Mishnah says, but only here is one aid belief for Tumah. But if a woman is not a Saita, in other words, Tumah Ba'alma, when there was no Kinoyen Noistira, and one witness comes and says that he knows that a woman committed adultery, we will not believe one witness. For this, the Mishnah answers, And it says, When it comes to monetary laws, two is the minimum number for, for their testimony to be considered a testimony. Afkan Edim Shnayim. And just to clarify, when this Mishnah was speaking about Edus Hadashayna, what was the Mishnah referring to? The Mishnah was Rabbi Yoshua, and it was referring to Edus Tira, and Edus Achrayna was referring to, as we learn, Edus Tuma, Emir Hashem, to be continued in the next year.